head into the Ringerverse to stay up to date with all things superheroes and nerd culture entertainment. Hosted by a rotating lineup of superfans at the Ringer, including Mallory Rubin and Van Lathan, shows will provide instant reactions to blockbuster releases, insightful backstories on canon, and mind-bending theories, as well as fresh takes on the latest news and rumors. Check out the Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem, call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. It is our final Tuesday podcast of 2021. Welcome in. It's New York, New York with yours truly, JJ John Jastrzemski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And you know what the talk around the NBA is. I see it all over social media. I see everybody from the Ringers got a comment basking in the glow and the euphoria. And they're all giddy about Steph Curry breaking the three-point record. Let's get something out of the way right here, right now. Steph is the greatest shooter I have ever seen. Yes, I am very bitter about the fact that the New York Knickerbockers were one pick away from getting the skinny kid, Bell's kid, out of Davidson. I didn't realize this three-point record, quite frankly, was going to be as big a deal as it was today. Maybe maybe I'm, I'm missing the boat. Maybe that's because I'm on my little siesta out here. I was, like, kind of stunned, to be honest with you. Because, listen, in this day and age, as great a shooter as Curry is, uh, the guy is going to hit 10 zillion more threes before his playing career comes to an end. So, I I mean, if you got wrapped up in seeing Ray Allen and seeing Reggie Miller and Dell and the whole scene, great. I, for one, I know I'm going to sound like the old man yelling at the crowd. That's fine. I'm more than happy to embrace that role on this particular day. It bothered me. And you know what's going to happen against your team. But I'm going to, undis- uh, let me put into words why it bothered me. I hate seeing Madison Square Garden euphoric for something other than the New York Knickerbockers. That may be haterade. That may be foolish. That may be the New Yorker in me. Too freaking bad. It bothered me. The love fest. The cheering from the fans going nuts like the team had won. Knicks are getting smoked in the game. I hate it. 
I absolutely hate it. And I love Steph. This has nothing to do with Steph, who's one of my favorite players in the league and is a stud. The whole love fest, though, against my team, let it go happen in Charlotte, okay? Let it go happen in Los Angeles. Let it go happen in Portland. Let it go happen anywhere else. It's yet another reminder of what could have been. Yeah, I'm bitter. I'm salty. I'm angry. That's the way I looked at it. Maybe I'd feel differently tonight if the Knickerbockers had gotten a victory. Maybe I would have been in a much better mood. I'm not. The Knicks basically had no players because of COVID. Didn't have Obi Toppin. Didn't have R.J. Barrett. They basically didn't have Alec Burks because he didn't hit a shot until the fourth quarter. You got Julius Randle basically trying to carry the team. He's huffing and puffing and had nothing left. Had a great third quarter. Had nothing left in the fourth quarter. And the Knicks just are in a massive, massive, massive funk. It's the best way to look at it. After the first two, two and a half weeks of this season, the Knicks have played a whole lot of lackluster, uninspiring basketball. They're not winning a lot of games. You're trying to figure out who's in, who's out, who's part of the future, who's not a part of the future. And there's a whole lot of upheaval here, folks. Those feel-good vibes from a year ago are not there. We said this the other day. It's only intensified. You're looking for something to feel good about, though. Quinn Grimes on Sunday wasn't there because of health and safety protocols. But now McBride, the kid out of West Virginia, can I, can I see the youngsters play a little bit more? Is that too much to ask or what? They already have Kemba Walker in the witness protection program. He's basically done as the New York Knicks. The guy who is impossible to watch, by the way, is Fournier. Does any other Knicks fan have the same feel about Fournier? I see Fournier on the court. He makes me sick. Because if he can't hit a three, what good is he? And I don't mean that with any disrespect. I'm talking from a basketball sense. What good is he? Not exactly some exquisite passer. He's not exactly some exquisite ball hander. He, he's not super athletic. And he's awful. He's a massive liability on defense. Some of the looks the Warriors were getting when they were going one-on-one with 48 was embarrassing. It was basically watching me or Stefan out there trying to play defense. Stefan, I shouldn't even say that because you might play a little bit better defense than I do. I scratch and claw, but I'm built like an absolute twig. I might be grabbing on somebody's leg if I'm playing defense, but at least I'm going to try. At least it's going to look like I'm giving some sort of effort. So I am sure that Evan Fournier is working his way into the doghouse of this head coach who wants everybody playing defense. But another lost night for the Knicks. Great night for the NBA. You got all wrapped up in Curry and the love fest of him breaking a three-point record. More power to you. To me, it made me angry. It made me salty. It made me bitter. And I want to see my basketball team play a heck of a lot better. I want to see some guys come back. I want to see the youngsters get more of an opportunity to play. And I hope that a softer portion of the schedule between now and the end of the year is going to jumpstart this Nick team. Good news they're not buried because, listen, 7-6 through the end of the plains in the East, it's like separated by two, two and a half games. But you have to call a spade a spade. The Knicks have played lousy basketball. And I was not delusional in thinking this was some sort of championship team. We never felt that way here on New York, New York. I thought they'd be better than this. That spunk, that intensity that we had last year, it's something is lacking currently. 
and you'd be a fool to say otherwise. So, tough night at MSG. Good for Steph Curry. Best shooter ever do it. If that got you all giddy, that got you all fired up, good for you. Me, uh, no waterworks here. Just a whole lot of salt, anger, and frustration. Speaking of frustration, it looks like the Giants are bringing back Joe Judge. Now, I am not a reporter. I have some friends around the league who are well-connected. Not me, of course. Nobody wants to tell me anything these days. I I learned through secondhand information, thirdhand information, which is fine. I have my friends. They're well-connected. They're around these teams. Me, I'm the man of the people. I was shocked to hear from a couple of different places the job security that Joe Judge is going to have going into 2022. We know the general manager's out at the end of the year. As bad as he is at his job, he's a giant. They're not going to embarrass him. They're going to basically tell him to retire. Fine. Great. New GM. About damn time. But seems like that general manager is going to be straddled with this head coach. And if we were talking about the Giants after last year, I think I'd be okay with it, quite frankly. Because last year, I was encouraged by the way the Giants looked under Joe Judge. Seemed like a guy with a plan. Seemed like a guy with an attitude. Team played hard through 17 games last year. So from, from that sense, I was, I, I was cool with Judge after a year. I've soured on him after this season. Very, very, very sour on Joe Judge. Because you watch the team play. You see the lack of aggressiveness with his coaching. His offensive unit is a mess. His defense doesn't have a monumental identity. The, the, the best thing to write home about with the Giants is their place kicker, for goodness sakes. When your place kicker is like the number one billboard, headline, headliner when it comes to your football team, you're in deep doo-doo. Major, major doo-doo. I don't think it's a given that this head coach should be back. In fact, if I were running the team, I would get a new GM. I'd say to the GM, who do you want to be a head coach? Point blank. Do you like this head coach or not? If the answer is yes, okay, we can work with Joe Judge. The answer is no, I'm out. That's how the Giants should be operating here, but they're not. They screwed this up a couple of years ago when they fired Pat Shermer and decided to keep Dave Gettleman, which made absolutely no sense. Now you're kind of seeing the, the problem with that decision a couple of years down the line. This owner loves Joe Judge. He thinks he has his next Parcells. He thinks he has his next Belichick. I'm not there. Not even close. If Joe Judge is going to remain the head coach of this football team next year, He's got to drastically change the way he approaches running a game over the course of 60 minutes. It's got to drastically change. The conservative, lame, old-school football guy approach does not work in 2021. How many times you got to see the Giants on 4th and 1, 4th and 2 decide, hey, we're going to punt the ball. We're going to kick field goals. We're going to coach the team like it's 1985. Doesn't work. You can't be stuck in the past, folks. What worked in 1985 coaching an NFL team doesn't work in most cases in 2021. Some of the fundamental principles are always going to be the same. 
motivation, understanding players, schemes to some degree. But the numbers that are in front of us, you, you can't overlook them. So when I hear a coach and I see a coach have a game plan, attack the game like he was coaching a game 20 to 25 years ago, I have a major problem with that. It offends me. Understand this stuff, folks. And it's not to say that you got to be a slave and you got to just drool the new age analytic stuff. But it's a major part. It's a major component of what you do. And the great coaches, I'll give you one for example. John Harbaugh. Look at the way he's evolved from when he started with the Ravens in 2008 to where he is right now as a head coach. You want to realize and understand why he continues to have success why he is, to me, probably the second best head coach in the league behind the best ever doing Bill Belichick. He's evolved over time, just as Belichick has evolved over time. Joe Judge needs to evolve. If this is going to be the version of Joe Judge you get next year, this is a horrific mistake for the Giants. He's going to be back. Realize that if you're a Giant fan. He's coming back next year to coach this team. GM. We'll have to wait and see. If he's going to be the coach long-term, better get with the times. Because if you don't, you're going to have another year that's an out-and-out nightmare, kind of like this 2021 season and kind of like the last nine years in general for the New York Giants. Weird saying that. Franchise so proud. Franchise that basically was a factor year after year after year under Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning. Turn into embarrassment. And that's not news. Sad but true. We got a loaded show. I promised you it will ask me anything. It is our last Tuesday pod of the year. We will have Sunday pods till the end of the year. We will have Thursday pods till the end of the year. But giving the guys a little bit of a blow, going to enjoy the holidays a little bit. So Sunday, Thursday for the next two weeks. So last Tuesday pod, we figured, all right, we'll mix in some ask me anything. We'll have our trivia. Of course, we'll take a little hiatus with trivia. We'll be back for that after the new year. I think. I think that's what we're going to do. I, I reserve the right to change my mind on that one. But I think we'll put trivia on hiatus until 2022. Coming up next, though, before we do the last me anything, my old pal. We did a bunch of shows together at WFAN back in the day. I actually was one of the best reporters in the NFL from the NFL Network. Kim Jones will join us next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So I'm super fired up to welcome in a good friend of mine. We did a bunch of radio shows together, and I saw her Twitter feed yesterday as I'm sitting at the beach, and it put a smile on my face. <laughs> it fired me up, and I said, we got to have Kim Jones on the pod. So Kim Jones, welcome. This is the first time I'm seeing you since pre-pandemic world. Yeah. How is everything over at the NFL Network? We will always have our joint interview with Mickey Calloway. We yes, we will. Have that. Mickey Callaway, Joe Girardi, Aaron yep. Boone. 
Those were some fun shows they from City Field. They Damn, I enjoyed those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Although, let's be honest. You know what I think the newsworthy headline of those three days were? You what? and I interviewing Charles Oakley after the Nets signed Kevin oh. Durant. Remember that? That was that was amazing. He was amazing. You know, he oh, he he's a big guy who tells the big truth, I guess. I mean, that was crazy. That was a crazy time. And speaking of crazy, the New York football scene is embarrassing. It is so tough to take. It is so tough to talk about. You've been around it forever. So you've seen it all in many ways. Kim, I don't think I've been like this down and depressed and just like the idea of not seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Like we've seen bad jet teams. We've seen bad giant teams. But where's the hope? Where's the optimism? I I can't find it. Can you? It's tough. It's really tough. That's why I spend a lot of time right now covering Buffalo. That's why I was in Washington on Sunday covering the Cowboys, you know, at, at the Washington football team. Um, we don't do a whole lot right now from NFL Network's perspective at MetLife Stadium. And that has almost been a constant, JJ, since I joined NFL Network in 2012. You know, we had the flurry from the Jets. where If Ryan Fitzpatrick could have beat one of his former teams in the Bills, they would have made the playoffs under Todd Bowles. They did not do it. We had the one game in Green Bay, frigid Green Bay, where the Giants did make the playoffs um, under McAdoo's for, uh, was that McAdoo's first year or second year? It yeah, matter. first year, 2016. First year, first year yeah, 2016, right. Um, so we had that, and, and both of those seem like an eternity ago, and they are. They're like a generation of football ago because of how the NFL spins. So it's been rough. It's been rough. Listen, quickly, I would say, the Jets are still in the infancy of Robert Sala's era. He has two coordinators who've never been coordinators. You know, there were going to be growing pains. They had a big loss of Carl Lawson um, in training camp, uh, and that was a prize possession, excuse me, a prize signing of theirs, a signing of theirs that they were so excited about because they thought he could help with Mosley on the field, Quinn and Williams on the field. You then kind of sort of have a big three, right? It never worked out. With the Giants, I think it's more of what are we doing here in the second year of Joe Judge where there just hasn't been much progress. I, you know, I'm not a big numbers person, JJ. I don't like when people read stats to me, but, you know, Daniel Jones is 24th in the league in passer yards. Now, he hasn't played in a while, so I understand that that's skewed a little bit, but he's, you know, he has what, 10 interceptions or excuse me, 10 touchdowns in 11 games. I mean, you know, that's never really going to cut it in today's NFL. Uh, Saquon's the 49th in rushing. I have said this. I don't think Saquon's going to be healthy after the ankle, let alone the ACL recovery. But I think he was doing pretty well with that. After that ankle in Dallas, I don't think we're going to see a healthy Saquon till next season. I stand by that. Um, in terms of pass rush, the Giants have no one who measures at any respectable level. So you were talking about, Take running back out of it, even though I consider Saquon a playmaker when he's at his best. When you talk about quarterback and you talk about pass rush, the Giants have no standing in this league right now. You know, and then you throw in their offensive line other than Andrew Thomas. It's a hell of a way to try to live in the NFL. You ain't kidding. And you were around the Giants when quarterback and yeah. pass rush yeah. was their hallmark and their calling card when they were winning Super Bowls with Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning. Um, Joe Judge, 
first year, Kim, I thought he did a fantastic job, all things considered. The team didn't quit on him. They played hard. They looked prepared. I have completely soured on him. I mean, you mentioned the lack of progress. I'm not seeing any progress. And I'll tell you what bothered me. Last Sunday after they lose to the Miami Dolphins and they lost by two scores, game really wasn't that close. They don't score an offensive touchdown. For a guy who seems to be like this Belichick disciple, blue collar, somebody who's going to understand a New York fan, to come out after that game, and I know you love press conferences. I know you talk about this on the air all the time, and I do too because you learn something about these individuals. To hear Joe Judge after the game basically try to paint a rosy picture with the Giants. Kim, who who are you kidding? Like, what Giant fan is going to want to hear that and say, yeah, this is what I'm seeing on the field on Sunday. My team's a joke. Yeah, I think, um, I don't think Joe's messaging is the Giants' biggest issue, but in some ways it is certainly um, the most easily consumed because that's what you hear from is the head coach most often in the NFL, certainly after games, JJ. And I thought that day, and I was in Buffalo that day, uh, so I had to catch up on some of that stuff in terms of the, the post game because I didn't, I couldn't see the Buffalo, or I couldn't see the post game from Buffalo. Um, but Joe Judge then said the next day, "Listen, I tell the players the truth, but you know, for the fans, I have a different message." I'm very much paraphrasing that, but that's phonyism to me. I mean, I mean, you know, be who you are is one of the tenets of my life and, and of what I want to see and hear from the people either in my life, the people I cover, the people I know, anyone really. Just be who you are. And I feel like Joe Judge has has come to adopt almost a chameleon is better. Like in this situation, I'm going to say this because tough love's important. In this situation, I'm going to be all supportive because I want the fans to see the progress that I want to convince them I'm seeing, you know, I, I, with Daniel, I'm going to treat him this way because he's a quarterback who hasn't shown nearly enough growth and can't stay on the field. And, and, and a neck issue is not his fault necessarily, but we judge other players if they can stay on the field and your quarterback has to be able to stay on the field. Um, you know, there's just so much there that makes you scratch your head in a second year for a head coach. This is, he's still making what I would consider the first year mistakes. So the Giants are going to have changes. We know that's coming in the offseason. I look at where they've gone wrong over the last few years, and I know it transcends regimes and whatnot. Right. They need a new general manager. And I don't know if they want to say it's Dave Gettleman retiring. Right. I don't know if they want to embarrass Dave, Dave Gettleman. With no, the they Giants not embarrass Dave Gettleman. They're not going to do that to him. Right. I understand all that, Kim. But they need a different message. It's clear. And I know they're sick and tired of it. Ownership's sick and tired of firing GMs or changing GMs and, and, and changing head coaches because it's not the giant way. And it's, you know, not the way winning teams within the NFL operate. But when you're not where you need to be and you're not drafting properly, you're making free agent signings that aren't exactly working out. Yeah, I can't exactly justify the idea of running it back next year and thinking you're on the right track. They will not embarrass Dave Gettleman in any way, um, but I don't think he will be back next year. And Dave Gettleman's cardinal sin as GM of the New York Giants was never fixing an offensive line that still needs to be fixed. They still need four offensive linemen. They got one. 
you know, you want to, you want to, you know, run, run the flag up for Andrew Thomas all you want. They got one in Andrew Thomas. They need four offensive linemen. And this is after Dave Gettleman took over in 2018. And they still need four offensive linemen. That's why Dave Gettleman has to be replaced. Now, I will tell you this, no matter who the next GM is, an inside hire or a hire from outside, if it's a hire from outside, it'll be a Joe Judge pick. If it's a hire from inside, it will be ownership flexing its muscle, probably at least a little bit, but also Joe Judge going along with it. But get ready for this with a new hire at GM. This is Joe Judge's program. It will be his voice that matters. And any GM who takes that job will have to understand that. This is a very strong personality coach in this league. Joe Judge will run the show. I truly, truly believe that. So do you have any concern about the idea of the Giants going and getting a general manager and keeping a head coach at the same time? I guess if they go get somebody who's tied to Joe Judge, their philosophy and what they're looking to do, you'd figure Kim is going to be intertwined. But for a coach who hasn't exactly, you know, wowed everybody with results, you think that's a fair course of action for the Giants to basically put all of their eggs in this Joe Judge basket, even from a personnel standpoint? I think what it tells you is how confident John Mara is in Joe Judge. Um, and I think Joe Judge is going to have every chance to succeed here. I don't think this season is going to end up being representative of, of what Joe Judge wants, you know, necessarily on his football coaching resume. He's going to have to own it. But, um, you know, this is a season where there should have been more growth. There was not. There will now be uh, changes that don't. I, 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 I find it impossible to believe Joe Judge is ever going anywhere. Now, could staff members be replaced? Uh, could step away, could choose to leave, you know, that kind of thing, of course. But but I, I think for a young head coach in this league, Joe Judge has about as much power and sway within his organization, in my opinion, as anyone I can think of off the top of my head. That's fascinating stuff. Now, for a young I, coach. I'm not talking about Pete Carroll. No, 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 no. I'm not talking I, about Mike Tomlin. I'm talking about for his generation, if you will, of coaches. I think Joe Judge is probably very near the top in terms of influence within his organization. I mean, that's insightful stuff from somebody who knows the Giants inside and out. Kim, before I get to the Jets, you covered Eli Manning back when he was a rookie, wet between the ears, had a terrible, terrible rookie year that salvaged, and it was salvaged in a big way. When was the moment for you? Because I think, you know, Jet fans, they're down on their quarterback. Patriot fans, Mac Jones walked into the perfect situation. He's got the perfect coach, perfect coordinator. They know exactly how to use him properly. But for you with Eli, when was the moment for you when you were covering him where you said the Giants have their guy? Is there one that stands out? I mean, the easy one would be the first Super Bowl, right? Be because, you know, he was gritty and gutty and um, and we then, you know, we then learned to kind of identify him as that. I think with Eli, though, partly, and I don't have great memories of this play-by-play, -play, but, you know, he had a zero passer rating as a rookie. I believe against the Ravens, I might Yeah, it was. I remember. Uh, ugly, ugly game. Yeah. I think the idea that, like, he really didn't seem to flinch a lot after that. You know, those were different times, though. You know, media was different. We didn't have Twitter yet. We didn't have a lot of what we have now, but 
he still was under an awful lot of pressure. I remember the tabloids, you know, obviously being very, the back pages of the tabloids, obviously being really unkind to a young Eli Manning, but Tom Coughlin always believed in him. And I think that that helped some of the rest of us covering the Giants back then to say, listen, Coughlin seems to be a guy who has it together. You know, he had his rough moments with some of the veterans, including Michael Strahan. I understand that. I remember it. But once Eli was there and entrenched, I do think you just had an overall feeling it was going to work out. Although I would not have necessarily predicted both Super Bowls, obviously. No, and now you look back on it, two of the more iconic Super Bowl wins over the last 20, 25 years. Yeah. And that quarterback who was in New England now looks better with age. He's he, he's basically playing. You know, a lot of people say, Kim, you go to Florida to retire. I think Tom Brady's going to Florida to go win more MVPs and yeah. win more Super Bowls. I mean, it, it, comparing him to anybody else, it's just, it, it's not, it, it, it's ridiculous. I, I honestly am at a loss, Kim, thinking about what Brady's doing and the idea that he could win it again this year, an MVP in a Super Bowl. It's insanity. That's the word. It is. It's ab- what he's doing is absolutely crazy. I, and I don't think we'll see this again. I, I really don't. I mean, you could mention some young quarterbacks in this league who are remarkable and, um, you know, certainly have a chance to be Super Bowl winners, maybe multiple times. Patrick Mahomes obviously already has one, you know, so we, th- we think that Patrick, you know, could certainly get there. But in terms of equaling Brady, I don't think anyone ever. Jeff fans, they are in the middle of another rough year. You mentioned the idea they're in the infancy stages, new head coach, new coordinators. Joe Douglas had a successful 2021 draft. Elijah Moore's a player. The Carter boys are players. But I think there are questions about the quarterback. Missing the easy throw, all sorts of skittish. Where do you stand on Zach Wilson right now? Is this a guy who's in the middle of a rookie year and he's trying to find himself? Or are you sounding the alarm when you see five-yard outs and simple throws? You know, Kim, I kind of equate it to the yips in many ways. I think Zach's yeah. trying to do too much. I think he's, you know, forcing the issue a little bit too much here. And I wonder if that's going to change over time. But that's my biggest thing. Like, the arm talent is there. The moxie and the mobility is there. But you got to be able to make these simple throws if you're going to play in the NFL at a high level. Well, didn't we see a bounced screen pass? The other yeah. day, you know, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you're talking about that you really can't see at this level. Here's what I would say that I've not, I don't hear people ever bring up. And I actually was just before this, JJ, I had some uh, sports stuff on and someone was talking about Zach Wilson and the idea that he just doesn't have a mentor. He never had a mentor. Well, he did have a mentor in Greg Knapp. And Greg Knapp, highly, highly respected in this league. And I can tell you from the one Zoom call I was on in June with with Greg Knapp, he was incredibly impressive as a veteran NFL guy who was getting a chance to help develop this talented young quarterback. Now, we all know Greg Knapp was then killed, unfortunately, in that awful bicycle accident. But I do think And I'm pointing all of this out just to be really fair to the Jets. They did have a hire in place who I think they would tell you. And I'm not I'm not covering for the Jets when I say I think they would tell you. I truly think they would tell you this, but I don't know. But Greg Knapp would have made a difference for Zach Wilson. There's a reason what not quite midway through this season, they ended up hiring John Beck to come in for the rest of the year. He's um, Zach's um, personal quarterback's coach. 
because I think they felt like he needed a veteran person in the in in football to help guide him. That would have been Greg Knapp. Now, moving on past that tragedy of Greg Knapp's passing, I don't think Wilson has looked the part of the second overall pick in this draft. Are there reasons of, you know, for that, including the offensive line, including some of the weapons around him, including the idea that some of the weapons around him are available one game, not necessarily available next because of injuries and that sort of thing? Of course. So he has not always had a lot of help, but there are some throws, JJ, where he simply could help himself by getting back to who he is as a quarterback, which is a bit of a playmaker, but also someone who at BYU was pretty accurate and pretty impressive in the way that he was able to kind of point guard his way through the quarterback position. And we're just not seeing any of that. And I will wind up what's a longer answer than you probably bargained for by saying, all of that tells me, all of that tells me for now, this is neck up with Zach Wilson. This is a confidence issue first and foremost. And I think that is now what you're seeing on Sundays. And to me, that doesn't make it any more alarming that you would say, well, he's overthrowing everyone, you know, by five yards. You'd be alarmed at that as well. And I think you can be alarmed at a crisis in confidence in a young quarterback because above all else, that has to be built up one way or another. Kim, I'll tell you where I would have been having a crisis, where you were last Monday in Buffalo, New York. And <laughs> I'm not going to make you feel any worse because I was watching everything go down in Western New York. You know, I went to Syracuse. You know, I know a thing or two about crazy wind and lake effect snow and all that bubble jumbo. I am getting off the beach. I'm basking in the glow of my tan. And I see you doing a stand-up for the NFL Network. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be one hell of a Monday night. Would you say... That was one of the craziest weather yeah. games you've yes. ever covered? Yes, because it was still during the day at times. It was very still at times during warm-ups. And then it was just whip up. You talk about that lake effect. It was capital letters, lake effect um, that night. And it was it got really cold. And, you know, I really wanted to stay out there for warm-ups. I, I thought I should. Um, what I saw was Josh Allen having no impact. By the wind, he, you know, he has a cannon. I think we all know that. He really was not having any issues. And Gabe Davis told me that when he was walking off the field. He said, Josh looks great cutting right through. And, and he was. Mac wasn't able to do that. He doesn't have that kind of arm. And ultimately, it didn't end up mattering because the game plan obviously very much favored the, the Patriots and they were able to execute it to a T. From what you saw with Buffalo coming back against Tampa, I thought it was a great second half. I thought Josh Allen looked like Josh Allen. A couple of questionable calls went against the Bills, but Tampa wins the game. New England's going to win this division. Right. I can't have Bill Simmons happy. The idea of him celebrating another Patriots Super Bowl is just like as cringeworthy as it gets. So can you see the Bills challenging the Patriots? Or are you concerned, Kim, that gap and the confidence now that Bill has in his team that Mac Jones is gaining with each passing week is going to be too much for them to overcome. You still believe in Buffalo long-term this year? Listen, Buffalo has a better roster than New England. The better roster doesn't always win on Sundays, Mondays, or Thursdays. So, uh, yes, I still believe in Buffalo. Josh has that foot sprain right now. A true foot sprain is a relatively big injury on a big man who is mobile. 
but I don't know. To, I'm going to go to Buffalo tomorrow, JJ, which doesn't help this conversation necessarily. But you know, if it's a if it's a you know foot sprain, Josh is doing all right. We'll see him Sunday. That's different. But if it's a foot sprain, you're talking about issues. So um, I don't think we know that yet. But I still have confidence in the Bills. I, I think at times they 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 have lost that mojo a little bit. I think people are going to call me absolutely crazy. And I asked Brian Dayball this a few weeks ago after Gabe Davis had, Gabriel Davis had a game where he really contributed to a Buffalo win. I said to Dayball on Zoom, why do I think your offense is better when Gabe Davis is on the field? And he went on to talk about a young receiver who's really, you know, always in the right spot, knows every position that, uh, that the receiver has to know. And he has to know them all, uh, you know, you know, sound at, at, at catching a football, you know, as long as it's in his radius, that kind of thing. I think Buffalo got away a little bit, JJ, from the team I saw last year against Pittsburgh and I believe against the Rams, start out the game five wide. And I called it at the time the day ball flex. And I said on the air, they did it because they could. And I feel like Buffalo, for whatever reason, got a little bit out of that groove. Could it have been a, a, you know, an awful loss to Jacksonville? Could have. I can't imagine the five wide group losing to Jacksonville, you know, uh, on a playground, let alone on an NFL field. So there is something there that, that candidly, because we're not in locker rooms, I can't put my finger on right now, but there is something there in terms of the team wide moxie of that Bills team that they're going to have to regain, frankly, to make the playoffs. Now they got a couple gimmies that we would consider gimmies, right? What do they have left? Jets? Falcons, Panthers. Panthers this week. I'll, yeah. I'll be there for the Panthers game. Those are three games they should win. And then you should be talking about them as what? A, a, a low seed though in these playoffs. But somewhere along the line, that moxie got interrupted. And, and at some point, I'll probably have an answer on why. Not today though. Final one. You were in Washington for the Cowboy game and you have ties to Penn State. My goodness. How special is Micah Parsons? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go maybe a little above and beyond, Kim, and that's okay. Forget about Defensive Rookie of the Year. That looked like Defensive Player of the Year with how they were using him on defense. He's all over the place. What a special, special talent. Like, we'll see what the Giants have in Kadarius, Tony. I wanted the Giants to go and get an offensive player. No knock on Tony. He ain't going to be Michael Parsons, Kim. I can tell you that right now. No way. Positionally, he can't be. Yeah. Right. Can't I mean, be. you know, unless, unless he's Jerry Rice. I mean, he could be Jerry Rice and we would say, God, what a great draft pick. You know, barring that, which is not going to happen. Um, you know, you know, we, we could debate that pick and, and why it was made or why it wasn't made, you know, many times. I know Dallas loves him. He's in Dan Quinn's office all the time, one-on-one learning more about the defense, learning more about what Dan wants from him. Uh, now that Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory are back, um, first of all, Randy Gregory, ridiculous the other day with that interception. I mean, next he's going to blindfold himself and juggle the ball before he catches it just for kicks, you know. But that was remarkable by Gregory coming back, you know, first game in a while. But uh, Micah has a great aptitude when it comes to football. People missed on him because they chose not to get to know him in any way. And those people ultimately are going to pay for it because the Cowboys had him, JJ, sorry about that. The Cowboys had him fifth on their draft board, I was told Sunday, um, ahead of both of the corners 
but they thought corner was a bigger need. So you can look at that both ways, right? You understand the bigger need, but they at least had Micah ranked ahead of them at fifth. I don't have top four for you, unfortunately, but they had him at fifth and they go out and make a pick that has already started to transform that franchise. He's been that good and he cares that much. I think that that has, I won't say surprise, maybe impressed is the better word, impressed the Cowboys the most in terms of, his caring about getting every detail right. And this is a rookie being asked to play multiple positions. And by the way, if they ever needed him to, you're going to laugh. He could play running back for them. I believe I it. No doubt I believe in my it. Mind. Had, he go, had, he, had he not taken uh, the COVID opt-out, you know, the Big Ten had all kinds of issues. That's a whole different podcast. Big Ten's, you know, screwing around. He opts out. Um, had he not opted out, they were going to use him conceivably on returns and at running back in, in his, what would have been his last Penn state season. I, I think, I don't know about the returns, but, but he could, if they needed him to give them snaps at running back, I have no doubt in my mind. Will it happen? Almost certainly no, but he could do it. Thanks so much for doing this. We will pray for you this weekend that it's going to be like 45 and sunny in Buffalo. Cause you know, with the Jets and the Giants playing the way they're playing right now, unfortunately, Kim Jones, you're on like that Beltway, Western New York. Like, that's like your your, your new like area yeah, of location, yeah, basically. So I, know. Uh, I expect the parka and the scarf and the sunglasses will be oh. out in full force. And real quick. So, you know, you have to wear the puffy coat. I'm getting like, like slander about like, being a real big program in the, you know, and everything. The puffy coat has to add like four inches on each side to who you are. I mean, of course, that's why it's the puffy coat. I mean, my goodness. We don't have to worry about that with you, Kim. That is, that is not an issue there. So stay warm. That's the most important thing. Stay warm, continued success. I miss you. Hopefully I'll see you in the stadium one of these days. It's been too long. Let's do this again soon. I have nothing else to do except talk to JJ today. I like the sound of that. That's the great Kim Jones. We're back with more. Ask me anything. Also, it's a good stuff. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, Visit JiffyLube.com. That was a ton of fun. Kim is phenomenal. And by the way, one of the main reasons I'm sitting here with you today is because Kim probably doesn't even remember this. I didn't even bring it up. When I got my start in radio back in 2011, down at Bar A, Jersey Shore, Belmar, for those of you who know it, Kim Jones was one of the three judges in the Phenom Contest. So if I was not a fan of Kim's or Omar Manaya's or our buddy Greg Sussman or, of course, the OG, the GOAT, Mike Francesa, 
Who knows if I get my career started? Who knows if I catch the eye of the great Bill from Los Angeles? And who knows if I'm sitting here talking to you today? So it's amazing how that sort of stuff comes full circle. And listen, Kim, you appreciate the honesty with the Giants. Need people telling it like it is with this franchise? They're a nightmare. They're a nightmare. And they have been for a while. It's okay to separate the history of the franchise and what the franchise has been over eight or nine years. It's okay to do that. It's okay to do that. All right. Voicemail time. We threw in a little ask me anything wrinkle to the voicemails. I I figured we'd have some fun with that. It's the last Tuesday show, so I figured when in Rome. Our voicemail number. It's 917-382-1151. That's how we do what we do. All right. Let's hit them. Hey, JJ, it's uh, George from Chicago. I'm uh, calling for the Ask Me Anything section. I noticed recently that you posted on Instagram that your most listened to artist uh, this past year was the Beatles. So I was just curious if you've uh, watched the uh, Get Back documentary and what your opinions were of it, if you you saw it. Um, I just thought it was really fascinating, you know, the group dynamics and the roles that you know, members of bands end up playing. You know, uh, Don Henley in the Eagles documentary mentioned that being in a band is like a marriage, except you're married with four other people. You know, and I saw in in the documentary, you can really see how Paul was the person in the band that was trying to keep them together. And then Ringo was just happy to be there. And then you look at George, and he was just really dissatisfied with his role, and he wanted more input in the band decision. But I think the most fascinating out of all of them was John. You really see his indifference with the band. But at the same time, you saw that switch that could flip. And he was just in this creative mode that, you know, is just really incomparable. Anyways, I just wanted your thoughts on the documentary and the band. So, um, thanks. I'm so glad that I was asked this question because I've been bottling up a lot of thoughts about Get Back, which took me about like seven different sittings to get through. The Beatles documentary that was put together by Peter Jackson, it's like eight, eight and a half hours. Might even be longer than that. If you are a Beatles fan or you have any sort of interest in the Beatles at all, it is mesmerizing. It is riveting. It is can't miss type of stuff because of everything you hit on. The Let It Be Sessions in 1969. My thought from what I learned from my dad and, you know, historians and other documentaries that I had watched about my favorite band was that by January of 69, the Beatles couldn't stand one another. They just hated one another. That's what I thought. This documentary doesn't portray it that way. It portrays this idea of four guys who hit the heights of Beatlemania, they're the biggest stars in the world, they transform rock and roll, pop culture, across continents, you name it. They went through everything. They kind of reached the point where philosophically, musically, they were starting to drift. Not that there was this, like, hatred of one another. George Harrison. George Harrison wasn't getting enough love. The guy was an absolute genius. 
the quiet Beatle. But he wasn't getting enough love because John had his songs. Paul had his songs. Yeah. Tough to get songs that he wanted onto an album. Could see why he left the band. You could see why that frustration was kind of within George. But the partnership and the creativity, the way they put some of these songs together, like Don't Let Me Down and Who of Us and Just Just Get Back, it's it's sensational. And part of me wonders if they could have put philosophical differences aside, Alan Klein, business, etc., what they could have done together in the 1970s. Part of me wonders that. Part of me, though, is actually kind of glad, though, that they went out the way that they did. They went out on top. Where they all went their separate ways. They all had very successful solo careers. I would argue George had the best solo career out of any of them with his All Things Must Pass albums. I think pop culture-wise, most people would tell you McCartney. John Lennon's got a bunch of songs. And, I mean, I've heard his Christmas song like 10 zillion times since I've been down in Florida. My favorite Christmas song, by the way, War is Over. George had the best solo career. But who knows what their solo careers would have been. They stay together. Like, does George get all the songs he got on the All Things Must Pass album with the Beatles? Probably not. And it only enhances the legend of Abbey Road and of Let It Be. And all of the music they put together from like 1962, 63 to 1969. So. Yeah, I was fired up about Get Back. I loved it. And if I could be at any concert, any concert ever, the rooftop concert atop of Apple, number one on my list. Not even close. If I could be at any concert, at any place, any time in the world, the rooftop Beatles concert in 1969 tops the list. Okay. Got to wax poetic a little bit about the Beatles. So that was an excellent, excellent question. All right, who's next? Hey, Jay, this is Charlie from Elmer, still calling from California. I would like to get in your AMA, ask me anything. I'll try to make it quick. So on the previous podcast, uh, or like a while ago, you, you, you said you will put Toy Story as one of your top five Tom Hanks movies. So I'll give you this. What is your top five Tom Hanks movies, not including Toy Story? Not including any of the Toy Story movies. So I'll give you my top five, and I like to be subject to change. Number five, Philadelphia, won an Oscar. Uh, number four, The Terminal, directed by Steven Spielberg. Number three, Cast Me If You Can, the one with Leonardo DiCaprio and directed by Steven Spielberg. Number two, Cast Away. And no matter what, that's my number one is Run, Forrest, Run! Forrest Gump, what's your top five Tom Hanks movies? Not including Toy Story. All right. Take care, JJ. Wow. We go from the Beatles to Tom Hanks. This is why I enjoy Ask Me Anything, because you never know what you're going to get. All right. I'm going to go one, two, three, four, and five. One being my favorite, and I'm taking Toy Story out of the equation. I love Tom Hanks' voice and Woody. Love Woody. A couple of buddies of mine think that Woody and I have a whole lot in common. I can see that. I can see that a smidge. Um, I agree with you. Forrest Gump is number one on my list. Hands down, number one on my list. Now, I guess what we got to figure out, are we talking about 
movies that Tom Hanks appeared in? Or are we talking about Tom Hanks' roles? Like, I'll give you an example. I like Catch Me If You Can a lot more as a movie than I do Castaway. Might be an unpopular take, but I do. Tom Hanks is brilliant in Castaway. So I'm going to go five favorite Hanks roles. I'll go Forrest Gump 1. I'm going to say Han Ratty and Catch Me If You Can 2. I'm going to say Castaway 3. Now, I'm not going to put big. Not a big, big fan, to be honest with you. I know that might be hurtful for a lot of people out there. I don't love that movie. Didn't love that movie. I would put his role in Philadelphia in there, which is fabulous. That is a fantastic, fantastic movie. He and Denzel Washington. So you know what? I'll actually put that ahead of Castaway. I'll put Castaway 4. And then, mm, this is tough. Is it Jimmy Dugan in League of Your Own? Could do that. Is it Captain Miller in Saving Private Ryan? I'd probably go Captain Miller in Saving Private Ryan. It's tough, though. I mean, it just goes to show you what kind of career Tom Hanks had. Not throwing a Da Vinci Code in there. And no, we're not throwing in the Polar Express. Gump is number one, though. I mean, listen, that when you talk about movies that are flat out rewatchable that you could see over and over and over again, that's one of those movies. I could anytime Forrest Gump is on, I feel like I am like captivated to the TV. Whether it's the scenes with Jenny or Bobo or Lieutenant Dan, ice cream, can't get enough. Can't get enough. Excellent question. All right, who's next? Hey, JJ, this is Aaron from Iowa. Um, I'm riding my bike right now. It's pretty great here in Iowa. It's like 50-something degrees for once. I'm, I'm jealous, as is most of your listener base of you in Florida. Anyway, it's um, ask me anything. So I'm going to ask you something that has nothing to do with New York. But it's the type of question that's been asked before. Like when that one guy, I think it was Alex in New York, asked about Billy Joel or Elton John. I'm going to ask you two or R.E.M. Those are two of my favorite bands. You two is my number one favorite. R.E.M. is like fourth or fifth. I like you two more personally because one, I think Bono's a better singer than Michael Sykes. Two, they have more longevity. And three, they were able to change their style more without without becoming bad like R.E.M. And then just my personal preference, I like you two more. I don't know what you think. These are two of the most significant bands of the last 35 years. Yeah, and they're often compared to each other. Thanks. That's an easy call for me, Aaron. Appreciate it, buddy. It's YouTube by a mile. YouTube by a mile. Now, I'm not a big REM fan. I'm not. I like YouTube a lot. I mean, whether it's still haven't found what I'm looking for, Beautiful Day, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Desire. I mean, I could go on and on. That's an easy call. Easy call. Because YouTube's got about like nine or ten bangers that I can name off the top of my head. Whereas REM, I mean, not a huge REM fan. I'm just not. There's like two REM songs that I really like. That's about it. So, you two in a landslide. All right, who's next? Hey, JJ. It's Morris from Brooklyn. I'm calling about the AMA that you're having today. I was wondering, what was the favorite place that you've ever 
took a vacation on and what's one place you want to take a vacation on within the next, let's say, five years. Uh, have a great day, JJ. I hope you enjoy. It's a fabulous question, Morris. Fabulous question. Uh, where do I want to go is an easy call. Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. I was just talking about it right before we did the show. Hawaii seems just amazing. I mean, the weather, the golf, the, the Kona Brewery. I'm all in on the idea of going to Hawaii. I think it'd be fantastic. My favorite trip that I've ever taken, though. That's really, really tough. Because it's going to seem like a lame answer and a cop-out answer, but everyone is different. You know, I went to California, and I did a little bit of everything in California. You do San Diego, you do a beach. You get a little city vibe in L.A. You do a little Disneyland. You get, like, that variety of activities. I love that. I went to London. I loved London. And I actually found really good food because Kate actually knew the food was going to be an issue for me and basically picked like gourmet restaurants the entire trip. And I ended up loving London. I want to go back there. That's on a to-do list. Went to Colombia. And I'll be honest with you. I went to Colombia and I was not like all in on the trip before I went down there. I had a great time. Cartagena, the old city, the beaches, fabulous golf course on the water. So like, I can't pick a favorite trip. I'm sorry, I can't do it. It might sound like a cop-out answer. I know it's a little lame, but like, I'll have just as much fun in London as I would Disney World with Nikki. Depends on my mood, folks. Really depends on my mood. And like, Vegas doesn't count, because like, anytime I go to Vegas, that's like, I've been to Vegas so many times that like, it can't, it can't even count as like, you know, like a, a favorite trip because it's like a yearly annual pilgrimage, basically. And we'll be out there uh, on a full weekend. I'll be out there actually for pleasure. I have a bachelor party for the great Alex Plavin, and they invited me as one of the groomsmen. So I'm looking forward to that. And then it's final full weekend, and I'll just stay out there for a couple of days. And I'm dying to get back to the win. I mean, that golf course, oh my goodness. You want a place to play golf? Go splurge. Thank me later. Worth every penny. And if you watch the match with DeChambeau and Kepka, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Last but not least, here on the Ask Me Anything. So let's hear it. Hey, JJ. Sean from Long Island. Thanks for taking the call, man. Hope you're well. Calling in with the uh, Ask Me Anything. Got a quick double dose. I'll be quick, I promise. First of all, I'm just wondering, as a huge Islanders fan, as you know, just wondering how you got into your fandom. I know with your roots and where you grew up and with the Rangers doing pretty well in the mid-90s, just wondering how you swayed toward the Islander side. And don't get me wrong, I'm totally appreciative for it. Bringing New York, New York has, has an Islander fan base. Uh, just wonder if it was from childhood or maybe, you know, that you got to know Mike Carver as you grew up, if he kind of swayed you over the Islander side. I'm just curious about that. And uh, the second one, a little more fun, really quick. Would you take a Miami, Miami Dolphins Super Bowl if it meant a 25-year contract for Aaron Boone? Would you take the deal? All right, JJ, you take care, man. Later. Sean, that's an easy question. Yes. Yes, I would. And despite my shortcomings with the Yankee manager, I've seen the Yankees win five world championships. As you noticed, I was counting them on my hand. Five. I haven't seen the Dolphins sniff the Super Bowl. And truth be told, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that it may never happen in my lifetime. So if it actually does happen in my lifetime, yeah, I, I move heaven and earth. And I was thinking about this regards to the Super Bowl because I'm 
hopefully going to be out there for Radio Row and, you know, the interviews and all that stuff. But as far as, like, going to the game, I've always said I want my first Super Bowl to be a Dolphins Super Bowl. Now, if we ever had a local one and the Jets and Giants are playing in the game, that goes out the window. Remember, 2007, I was a sophomore at Syracuse when Eli and David Tyree and Michael Strahan beat the undefeated Patriots. 2011, I just started my radio career. I think it was on after that game. No, I think it was on Monday. It was on Monday. That's when I was like doing only like one or two days a week. I just started at the radio game. So I definitely was not in a position to get myself out to Indianapolis. But we have a local in the Super Bowl. Although, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the the idea that I would even bring that up, I know, is probably really offensive to a lot of you people out there. I, I know. Same with my team, for that matter. Despite the fact that my team is a lot better than the two of your teams. I love you all here in New York, New York. But, like, yeah, what are we doing? What are we doing? All right, I lied. I got We got one more. Ask me anything. One more. All right, let's hear it. Disco Jay. It's uh, Syosis Jay. Um, you know, I just got off the railroad. I get into the car. And I'm flipping through. Um, I had Doggy on. And I'm flipping through and I go back to FM and your station's on. <clears throat> Former station, I should say. And thank God for that. Um, listen, I've asked you this in the past. Um, but given the news of the other week with, with what ended up happening um, with the, you know, the midday show and, and, and our pal Mark Malusis, but more so the way they went about it, I don't know if you care to comment on it or not, but I just remember a time, dude, where there was like a lot of questioning. I remember when you came to the ringer into podcasts, people like, what's this guy doing? And when you look now at the direction of that place, the leadership of that place, the way they go about their business, the way that they basically fucking just spit in the face of the people who have been there for years and built it, the people that they give second, third, and fourth chances to after just crashing show after show after show into the ground, um, and more or less just the disgrace that it's become. I don't want to ask you if you feel like you've made the right decision by leaving and doing what you're doing now, because clearly you have. It's better for you that you're doing it. I just, you know, curious somebody who was there and now is on the outside. I'm curious your comment at what's going on over there and, and, and basically the, the, the disgrace that it's become. Thank you, Jack. It's a loaded question right there, Anthony and Syosset. All right. A couple of different things. I can't really speak on management and what's going on at my previous employer because the new program director was not there when I was there. So I don't have a relationship. I don't know him. Uh, I hear good things. He's a nice guy, but I, I don't know how his management style works. Couldn't tell you. But in light of what happened over there a couple of weeks ago, and the only reason I'm addressing this is because there are folks, there are folks who a couple of years ago were critical of me in the career choices that I was making, second-guessing them openly, talking about it in their various platforms, which was totally uncalled for, which was totally unnecessary, but folks wanted to have an opinion, and I, you know, to the business and what it is, you got to kind of deal with it. Anybody who thinks I have made mistakes over the last two and a half years with the, with the way I've handled my career, 
doesn't know a damn thing to what they are talking about, okay? Whether it's what happened at the end of 2019 when a certain opportunity came my way that was not conducive for me, was not going to work. I knew full well it was not going to work. That's why I thought it was the best course of action to remain doing what I was doing. Nothing personal, strictly business. My ass, my career. And then when I get a call from Bill Simmons to come and walk with Bill Simmons, are you kidding me? I dropped everything. How could you not? I've learned a life. I've learned with the career, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I can't tell you what's going on over there. All I know is this. Mark Moose is a good friend of mine. We work together at SNY. I think he's very good at what he does. That hurt when I saw that the other day. It did not sit well with me. I'm not going to lie to you. It did not sit well with me. I can't speak on the decisions they're making. I don't know what their thought process is, nor do I care, quite frankly. I mean, I want my friends to have success. But as far as what I'm doing, anybody who is looking at my career and thinks I'm taking a wrong turn, maybe go check yourself. If that's what you thought in 2019, and if that's what you thought when I left to work with Bill and to work for the Ringer, then <laughs> get a clue. That's all I'm going to say. I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Anthony and Sayasin. All right, trivia time. Interesting transition. Awkward transition, as we say on Baseball Night in New York, but that's what we do. All right, let's hear it. JJ, Larry in Florida. Who are the only two red shirt freshmen to win the Heisman Trophy winner? And the second one is this team in men's basketball has been ranked in 433 polls, got the number two 26 times, but has never been ranked number one. I'm out. Larry in Florida, coming out hot. First of all, it's good to have the great Larry in Florida back. I know his brother had a phone in the question last week, so I'm glad that Larry, number one, is feeling a lot better. Uh, but he's not taking it easy on me. He didn't take it easy on me last week. He's not taking it on me easy on me this week. Uh, I, I do not feel good about these. So we'll come back. We'll have some fun. We'll try to figure these out. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold Slurpee drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small Slurpee drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. We're going to have a really hard time figuring out Larry's trivia questions tonight. So, two redshirt freshmen to win the Heisman Trophy. I don't feel good about these, but let's take a stab. Stefan, my first guess is going to be Kyler Murray. <laughs> Not off to a roaring start. All right, I'm going to throw my next guess out there, and then we're going to have to dig much deeper. Is guest number two, Baker Mayfield? Mm. Nice. 
We're off to a roaring start with this question. I knew this was going to be a doozy. I knew this was going to be a doozy. Stefan, for the sake of time, and I'm going to tip my cap to Larry and call him my daddy. What position were these two Heisman Trophy winners? If they were the same position. They were the same position. They both were quarterbacks. And they did it in back-to-back years. I'll give you another tip on top. See, that's why I was thinking Baker and Kyler, my friend. So I, I, I thought back-to-back years, redshirt freshman, okay. But clearly I was off base. Okay. Clearly I was off base. Back-to-back years, Heisman Trophy winners. That, that puts Burrow out of the equation because Devontae Smith won it the following year. Redshirt freshman. It's not Tebow, is it? Okay. We are we are very off base with question number one. All right, buddy. You're going to have to give me a decade here, Stefan, because as you can see, I am struggling mightily. Between 2010 and 2020. Ooh, okay. So recent history then. 2010, 2020. Okay. Okay. Is one of the answers Robert Griffin III? Oh, man. Basically giving you every Heisman Trophy known to men and not getting any of the correct answers. Nice. Nice. Man, I am struggling with this question. I am struggling. 2010 to 2020. I'm like trying to think through quarterbacks who won the Heisman Trophy. Okay, I'm going to throw another one out there. Sooner or later, I might get one of these, right? Is if Johnny Football, is it Manziel? All right, took me long enough. All right, so Manziel won the Heisman in the 2012 season. So that means the following year, a quarterback won the Heisman Trophy, 2013. Going into 2014. How am I blanking on this? 2014 draft, I was there. Trying to, quarterback didn't even go number one. That was the Jadavion Clowney year. Clowney ended up going one. So that means it's either the year before Manziel Manziel won it in 2012. Griffin won it in 2011. So it's, it's, it's not that. It's not Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck didn't win the Heisman Trophy. So it's not Andrew Luck. Oh, man. This, this next one is, this, this is annoying me. This is annoying me. Stefan, I'm asking one more hint before I wave the white flag. Is this an Ohio State Buckeye? No, it is an Ohio State Buckeye. It is not an Ohio State Buckeye. Okay. Quarterbacks that came into the league in 2014. Manziel was in that draft. And somebody else won the freaking Heisman Trophy. Stefan, I do not know the answer. And it's going to annoy me. Who is it? Jameis Winston. See, that? that that's an awful... Awful, awful job by me because Winston and Mariota were the two quarterbacks that I should have nailed, that I should have nailed. But that makes sense, though, because 
the year before, I think Winston won the Heisman the year he won the national title, I want to say. Whatever year he won the national title, he won the Heisman, which I think was, yeah, it was 2011. That's right. That was the year they beat Auburn. I'm very annoyed at myself for that one. Very annoyed. All right, trivia question number two, and this is another doozy. They've been ranked 433 times, never ranked number one. They've gone as high as number two. Never ranked number one, ranked 433 times, which is it's a lot of times. I am going to say it is the Auburn Tigers. No, it's a tough question. This is a very, very tough question. Stefan, is this a Power 5 conference school? Yes, they are a Power 5 conference school. Power 5 conference school, okay. 433 times, never ranked number one. Is it Alabama? It's not Alabama. You know, I'm trying to think of programs that would get nationally ranked, don't have a ton of national pedigree to get to number one, and then they kind of take it from there. It is a power five school. Ranked 433 times, never ranked number one. Is it Seton Hall? It is not Seton Hall. I am going to take one more phone a friend because I have butchered this trivia questions across the board here from Larry. Stefan, what conference would the school play in? They are in the Big Ten Conference right now. They are? Ooh. Right now. Interesting. I wonder if that word choice from yours truly, not me, of course, ended up giving the hint away. 433 times, never ranked number one. You can forget about Michigan. You can forget about Michigan State. You can forget about the Ohio State Buckeyes. Maryland won a national championship, so they're out. Is it the Iowa Hawkeyes? It's not Iowa. I'm taking one more guess at this, and I am waving the white flag. Number one. Never ranked number one. And they're in the Big Ten. It can't be Rutgers, can it? All right, I'm done. Larry, listen. Tip my cap, call you my daddy. Stefano, who the hell was it? You overlooked him. The Maryland Terrapins. Really? Ter- Maryland was never ranked number one, even though they won a national title? They were never ranked number one. 433 is- times. Gonna have never to talk to Larry about that two. one. They, were never, they never ranked them number one, even after winning a title. That's Listen, I, I believe you. It must have been a year that we had some crazy, crazy crap happen. But that's crazy to end up finishing number one. Maybe one of the polls they did. But, all right, that was as bad as it gets. Listen, it it, it was bound to happen. As our football picks turn around, our trivia performance goes right in the toilet. But we have one more trivia question, so let's hear it. What's going on, JJ? This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. I got uh, two football trivia questions. Uh, One is 
the Alabama Crimson Tide wide receiver Tyrone Crapo caught an amazing touchdown catch in the, in a 2005 game over the head of a defender from what school? The second uh, trivia is the Detroit Lions won two games in the 2001 season. One was against the Cowboys in Week 17. Who did they defeat in Week 14 for their first win of the season? Those are two brutal, and I mean brutal, questions from Stewart. You guys brought your A game with the trivia tonight. Give credit where credit is due. You guys brought the A game with the trivia. The Bama question, I have no freaking idea. Let, let, let me just start with that one. No idea. Stefan, I'm not even going to take a guess because I can't even decipher it off the top of my head. So do you have an answer for me? It is Southern Mississippi. I don't I think you would have ever, you would have never guessed never that one. I never in a million years have gotten that. So there was no confidence. There was, it was not even worth me throwing a guess in because I'm like thinking of like a big SEC title game. And that was pre-Nick Saban, of course, 2005, he was coaching the Miami Dolphins, but neither here nor there. So job well done, Stuart. You got me. The Lions in 01, they won two games in 01. Who did they get their first win of the year against? I'm going to take a stab, and I really don't know. I mean, I'm just completely guessing here. I'm going to say it was the Minnesota Vikings. I got lucky there. I can't even. You know what? I can't even take a bow for that one because that was just me taking a random guess. And you know what? I went with one of the teams in the division. I just happened to guess right. That's like basically stepping up to the crash table. Rolling a bunch of sevens and then finally hitting the old 11 to get a little bit of money back. That's basically what I did with the trivia performance. So not my best. Hey, you guys brought your A game. And when we return at the start of the new year, hopefully uh, my trivia performance gets back to where it needs to be. All right. We got Thursday night football and we're dwindling, believe it or not, with the Thursday night football games. Like I was looking at the schedule. Next Thursday is our final. Thursday night game of the year. That stinks. I mean, that absolutely stinks. The last, as bad a product as Thursday night football may be, I'm still bummed out when it comes to a close. It's a great game this week, though. It's a great game. The Chiefs and the Chargers. And Kansas City's red hot. They lose this game because of the fact the Chargers beat them earlier in the season. All of a sudden, the Chargers are in the driver's seat to win the AFC West. So. We'll see if Jeff Money and I are aligned going into this particular game. All right, Jeff Money, let's hear it. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicap of picks. This we're up to for week number 15, the Thursday night game. It will not be part of the contest plays. Tough matchup. We got the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the L.A. Chargers. I'm going to roll with the Kansas City Chiefs minus the three on the road. The revenge back, try to get back at the loss against them. They've been hot. We're going to go with the hot. Kansas City Chiefs. So again, my play is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs minus the three. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Good call, Jeff Money. Very, very tough game to handicap. I don't like the fact that this line is moving against the Kansas City Chiefs. That bothers me. Kansas City is going to lose a game sooner rather than later. This game is just too important for them. 
So I'm going to throw a lot of the trends out the window here. I'm going to go with my gut, which is something I normally do not do when I handicap games. I'm usually very numbers-based. That's just the way I roll more often than not. I think the Chiefs are a better team. I think they're playing way better defense. I think they'll be able to run the ball. And I like them to find a way to get it done. I would take them on the money line to play it safe. I wouldn't mess with the three points. But I think Kansas City is not getting swept by the L.A. Chargers this year. That would be quite the statement from the Chargers. They go and beat Kansas City twice in the same year. I think this is a shootout. I think the total indicates as such. It's at 52 right about now. I'm going to say 35-31. Nailbiter. Late Mahomes magic. Chiefs take down the Chargers. I don't love that pick. But I'm riding with you, Jeff Money, because, listen, fading the Chargers for me, before last week, had been pretty profitable. I was just dumb enough to bet on the Giants last Sunday. So in, in that case, in that instance, I get what I deserve. Fabulous show. Fabulous show. Can't believe the year is coming to a close. We're back with our Thursday pod, Football Friday pod. Joe B will join us. Arthur Caesar will join us. Cats, who now means more than ever, because if you're in the fantasy playoffs, you need that late, last-minute bit of help, advice, with all the COVID stuff that's going on. Cats is quite the valuable resource, so we're going to need him this week. He really has got to come through for us this week. So this is a ton of fun. We're back in a couple of days. Outstanding work by Stefan. JJ, signing off. Be good, everybody.